Welcome to our first podcast of Can I Be Candid? My name is Dean LaBeouf, and I'm the managing partner of Brooks, LaBeouf, Bennett, Foster, and Gortney. I've been practicing law for over 36 years, and I'm here today to have a candid discussion with you about current events and the effect they may have on your everyday life. In today's episode, we'll be discussing college hazing and the events surrounding the tragic death of Florida State University fraternity pledge, Andrew Coffey. We will also cover the arrest of his fraternity brothers and the reaction of FSU President John Thrasher. With me today is my law partner, John Lease, a former criminal prosecutor and now a well-known criminal defense attorney. Welcome, John. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you, I think you picked a great topic for our first episode because this has been a fascinating situation. Well, thank you, John. It's uh, a unique situation in terms of the prosecution. And what I'd like to do is start by giving our listeners just a little bit of background about uh, what happened. Sure. You know, this was a situation that was not like a situation on virtually every campus in America involving every fraternity in America. The PICAPs were having a Big Brother night. That's a night where it's supposed to be about uh, interfraternity bonding, not a, a mixer with a sorority or something like that. Uh, guys are given a little brother. It's, they're supposed to sort of walk them into the pro- through the process. Yeah, but John, John, wait a minute. You know, if we're talking about a little brother and protecting somebody, I've read the investigation. Was Isn't it true that the event was planned around having these minors, individuals under 21 years old, breaking the law and encouraging them to drink until they got severely intoxicated? Well, I think one of the first things we need to keep in mind is virtually everybody was underage. Uh, It wasn't in a situation where you have people overage pressuring people underage into drinking. Almost every person in the fraternity that was at the event was under the age of 20 years old. Well, John, you and I are both lawyers. That's not a defense. It is a situation where we're not talking about a defense or, or not a defense. What we're talking about is trying to stay away from the stereotypes and, and the character assassinations happen with these kids. Uh, these were college kids that were doing what all college kids do, and that's drinking. We may not like it, but the reality of the situation is on every campus in America, kids that are underage are drinking together, whether they're in a fraternity or not. But, John, this was a recognized fraternity event, wasn't it? It was. It was put on by the fraternity even though it didn't happen on campus, right? That's correct. So... The fraternity has an organized event where they're encouraging their new members to break the law. Well, when you say encouraging them to break the law, uh, that phrasing uh, I find a little bit objectionable. Yes, there were underage kids drinking alcohol, as there are in every establishment in and around the campus, as there is in every dorm on the campus, as there is on every campus in America. I'm just not sure how much encouragement it takes to get a college kid to drink. Well, but you would agree that there was encouragement. This was an event where one I, of the design— I don't agree there was encouragement. Pardon me? I, I don't agree that there was encouragement. So you— I, I think that the guys went in knowing that they were going to drink. I don't think they had to be encouraged. I don't think they had to be prodded. Uh, I, I think that everybody is, is, you know, a big boy, so to speak, and they knew what they were getting into. So the idea that they were encouraged or prodded is, is something that the prosecution seems to have been, been— and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, but that's something the prosecution's pushing— that I just don't think is true. Okay, well, we're going to talk about the prosecution, but let's be candid. The fraternity encouraged these new members to drink to excess, right? No. I mean, there's not really any evidence of that. Well, that was part of the investigation, wasn't it? 
Well, the investigation drew some conclusions, and that is part of the allegation. But if you talk to the individual fraternity members, they will tell you that they did not push these kids to drink. Part of the tradition is when you are given a little brother, uh, the big brother gives the little brother a bottle of liquor of his choice. This wasn't a situation where anyone was forced to drink. But, John, wouldn't you agree that if one of these young men wanted to be a member of this fraternity and he took the position that he didn't want to drink, he didn't like to drink, isn't it fair to say that he probably would be ostracized and maybe not even get an opportunity to join? I don't think that's fair at all. There were several young men who didn't drink because they don't drink. It's a personal decision, but the, the reality is, and the thing that I think is a, as a community we're having a difficult time wrapping our mind around, is the idea that this is what college kids do almost every night of the week, whether they're in a fraternity or not. Uh, but the idea that if you didn't drink, you were going to be kicked out of the fraternity or something like that just simply isn't true. Well, that's a point we probably need to uh, explore further, and it's something that I think we don't agree on. Well, I mean, were you in a fraternity? Uh, actually, I pledged a fraternity, and when I saw how expensive it was, I decided I couldn't afford it. Okay, so you didn't get kicked out for not drinking? No, but there was plenty of drinking going on and plenty of encouragement for drinking. Well, when you say encouragement, uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, let's, let's be real here. Um, I was in a fraternity, and I chose to drink or not to drink every night, as did every one of my fraternity brothers. And, and I think that's more par for the course. The idea that guys are getting held down and, and you know, bottles poured down their throat like they're being waterboarded, I, I think is, is an image that maybe the prosecution would like to portray, but it's just not true. Well, I don't think anybody uh, thought that they were held down and that alcohol was poured down their throat, although I, I'm aware of events like that as well. I actually, I actually think that if you polled people in the community, the, the way this has been portrayed in the media, their idea and vision of what happened would be closer to that than, clo- than the actual reality. But John, isn't it fair to say that there is peer pressure in these organizations for these young men to drink and to drink to excess? I, I think it depends on your definition of peer pressure. If you consider peer pressure, looking around a room, seeing a bunch of other people doing something and feeling like, gosh, I, I probably need to do that too to fit in, then, then yeah, there's peer pressure. But I don't think there was peer pressure in the sense of guys saying, come on, man, come on, man, come on, man, you need to do it too. I, I don't think there was that sort of direct peer pressure. I, I think the, the most there would have been is some sort of uh, general feeling that, gosh, everyone else is doing it, maybe I should too. Maybe an internalized sense of peer pressure, but I don't think it was direct peer pressure. Well, this is one of the things that I think we're just going to have to disagree upon, John, but I think we need to take a break at this point. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Can I Be Candid? I'm here with my law partner, John Lease, and we're talking about the fraternity hazing event leading to the death of Andrew Coffey. John, we got uh, off on fraternities and peer pressure, and I'd like to kind of bring this back into what happened in this case and the arrest of several fraternity members. Can you tell our listeners uh, what led to that arrest and where we are now? Sure. As we started to talk about, 
this fraternity event uh, resulted in the guys in the off-campus apartment waking up to a young man on their sofa uh, who was deceased. This led to, obviously, a police investigation, and law enforcement began to attempt to uh, investigate the events that led to this young man's death. It was a joint investigation between FSU Police Department and Tallahassee Police Department. But before the investigation could even conclude, uh, the state attorney's office decided to take it to a grand jury. And, you know, for those who don't know, a grand jury is an investigative body of citizens that are presented with information, and they're supposed to make a determination as to whether a crime has been committed, and if so, is there somebody we want to charge, that sort of thing. Right, and I've been doing this a long time, John. I thought it was interesting that the investigation by law enforcement had not concluded, then the grand jury was impaneled, and from my reading of the grand jury presentment, it appeared that they felt like further investigation was necessary. As a former prosecutor, have you ever seen a investigation and a grand jury conclude this way in charges? Well, it's not necessarily unusual for a grand jury to result in a presentment as opposed to an indictment, uh, but it, it did seem unusual to have a grand jury convened only to come out with a finding that says, hey, the investigation's not concluded, but we knew that going in. You guys have more work to do. And tell, tell our listeners what the difference is between a presentment and an indictment. Well, at the conclusion of a grand jury uh, session, the grand jurors can issue an indictment, which is essentially um, a, a document saying this person ought to be charged with this crime, and it leads to that individual's arrest and, and prosecution. Or they can offer a presentment. A presentment is a written document that offers their findings, and those findings could be that there is no criminal charge. Those findings could be um, a situation where they are decrying something or offering recommendations for something. The presentment can be essentially anything. It's essentially just what the grand jurors think based on the information they've been presented. Well, you know, I had a little bit of a concern, I guess I would say, with the presentment because the presentment is a multiple page, I guess a 16 page typewritten document that uh, was released the same day that the grand jury concluded, or about uh, 30 minutes thereafter. <laughs> uh, and, and in reading the document, it, uh, I, I had significant questions that this was actually prepared by the grand jurors. Have you seen anything like this before? Well, <laughs> I, I think it's pretty clear what happened here. I mean, you know, it's five o'clock on Friday afternoon, the grand jurors have been sitting there for two full days, and they have two options. Option one is you guys can hang out and, and write something up for us, or option two is you can sign this document that, that we've already done for you. <laughs> and, and I think they decided that they wanted to go home for dinner and, and, and chose option two. Uh, the language in the document makes it pretty clear that it wasn't uh, written by the grand jurors. I think you have to go no further than their description of FSU as a premier research institution or something to that effect. Effect, um, it, it reads more like a infomercial than it does an actual grand jury presentment when it talks about FSU. Uh, so, I, yeah, I thought it was a little unusual the way that went down. And, John, you were actually there, right? Because you That's represented correct. several of the boys who were being investigated? That's correct. All right. Um, what I'd like to do next is talk about the actual charges. So why don't we take a break, and uh, we'll come back and investigate that further.
Welcome back to Can I Be Candid? I'm here with my law partner, John Lease, and we were just discussing the grand jury and how they did not make a recommendation for criminal charges against Andrew Coffey's fraternity brothers. John, so uh, how did these boys get charged? Ultimately, where the grand jury left it was encouraging the state attorney's office to make a charging decision, and that's what Jack Campbell ultimately did. He decided to charge nine fraternity members with felony hazing. Well, John, I looked at the statute, and I've got to tell you, this may be something we agree on. Uh, The statute seems to require that an individual be guilty of pressuring or coercing a student into violating state or federal law. Now, you and I disagree about the violation, but I'll concede, and I think you will, that it's against the law for someone under 21 to drink. And with regard to one of the fraternity brothers, Mr. Ravello, the investigation revealed that he did provide alcohol to Mr. Coffee. And that's correct. He was Mr. Coffee's big brother, and there's no dispute that he provided Mr. Coffee with a bottle of alcohol that Mr. Coffee ultimately ingested, and this led to his demise. You just have con- some concerns about whether or not that meets the requirement of pressuring or coercing, and you and I are going to disagree with that, but I think I agree with you and have some concerns about the other fraternity members being charged. None of them by the investigation, actually provided any alcohol to Mr. Coffee. Is that correct? That is correct, Dean. The other eight members of the fraternity that were charged are all the exec board members and those uh, brothers that were at some level part of the uh, committee that's in charge of pledges. Uh, Those guys, some of them weren't even at the party, let alone providing alcohol directly to Mr. Coffee. They were charged merely because they were in positions of authority or perceived authority, I think as the case may actually be, we're talking about college fraternities. Uh, but because they were in positions of perceived authority, uh, the, this theory seems to be that they fostered a uh, attitude or allowed for hazing to occur. Well, John, I just want to make sure I got this right, and, and that's what I read in the investigation as well. Some of the boys who have been charged with felony hazings were not even there. That's correct. And so by not being there, none of them encouraged or provided any alcohol to Mr. Coffee. Is that right? That's right. And and like I said, the the theory seems to be that by allowing for the party to occur, uh, taking steps in furtherance of the party occurring, uh, or, or just being an executive board member, allowed for hazing to occur. That apparently is the state's theory. There's not a lot of precedent with regard to this statute, is there? Uh, No, this is not something that happens regularly like a DUI or a petty theft type of charge. So can we agree that this is somewhat of a novel approach taken by Mr. Campbell in terms of these charges? Whether whether it's novel or creative or not, I I wouldn't go quite that far, Uh, but uh, it's definitely an interesting interpretation based on uh, the application of the specific facts of this case. Uh, to the law. Uh, It it seems almost um, like we got the result we wanted, and then we're going to fit the square peg in the round hole one way or another. All right. Well, um, it'll be interesting to see how this prosecution comes out and the steps in the legal process addressing these issues and whether or not uh, they can have a successful prosecution. I think it's going to be fascinating to see, and it's going to be particularly interesting to see how different the individual attorneys that are representing the nine members of the fraternity that were charged, how different their various approaches are to attacking the case. 
Right. And and their attacks will all be very different than, I guess, Mr. Ravello's, since there's really no question from the investigation. In fact, I think Mr. Ravello even admitted that he provided alcohol to Mr. Coffee. Yeah, that, that's not a fact in dispute. And, and where it really becomes interesting, Dean, is it's really easy to say the fraternity did this or the fraternity members did this. But when it comes to court, as you know, the prosecutor is going to have to prove the allegations beyond a reasonable doubt, specifically to each of these individuals. So when you're talking about a fraternity member who may be a vice president who wasn't even there, it's going to be interesting to see how the state attorney thinks he can prove that this person hazed Mr. Coffee into death. Right. That is going to be uh, very, very interesting to see uh, how the state intends to prove that and how... Uh, the individual lawyers attempt to defend that and, and what the outcome will be. But we've got something else going on as well, John, don't we? Uh, as a result of this incident and Mr. Coffey's death, President Thrasher has uh, taken some significant actions with regard to uh, university organizations, hasn't he? He has taken some interesting uh, actions. One of the, the issues that we see a lot uh, in, a, in a town like Tallahassee is when college kids get in trouble, it's not just the, the court system they have to deal with. They have to deal with the university as well. Well, John, I'd like to leave it right there because I think we need to take a break. But when we come back, I'd like to talk about President Thrasher's actions, the modifications in his actions, and how you see that proceeding over the coming months and years. Welcome back to Can I Be Candid? We were talking about the felony charges that Andrew Coffey's fellow fraternity members are facing, and we started talking about the broader effect that this event has had on Florida State University campus and the actions taken by John Thrasher. Uh, I actually support what President Thrasher is doing uh, because I think that the drinking problem at the university has been getting worse and worse, and they needed to take some action. But I think I that's the issue John, right there. The, it's the drinking problem. Well, I think right there you hit it. It's the drinking problem at the university. And uh, my main problem is Thrasher singling out Greek organizations. But he didn't single out just Greek organizations. The alcohol ban applies to all 700 recognized well, student that, organizations. That only happened secondarily. Initially, it was Greek organizations. And then there was a little bit of backlash, um, and he applied it to additional organizations. So maybe he didn't uh, paint the stroke of the brush wide enough at first, but you have to acknowledge, John, there is a real drinking problem on campuses around the country. I think there clearly is a drinking problem uh, in that we have a lot of students that are drinking underage and drinking to excess. I just don't know that it's the university president's job to uh, create um, an enforcement policy, especially when he singles out certain organizations. But now that he's expanded it to all of the student organizations, and we do have an acknowledgement by you that there is a problem, shouldn't an organization like FSU take the lead and do all that it can to protect its students? Well, I mean, we're always going to say, yes, we should protect students. That sounds really nice. But what they're actually doing is violating the inherent rights of the students. 
Uh, well, by John, membership or, or attending FSU, you now have less rights than if you went to any other university. Well, John, if you're a member of FSU, if you're a member of this university, all he's saying is you need to follow the law. These are underage individuals. Well, I, for I don't the most think that's part. all he's saying. I think when you start posting frater- uh, policemen at, at fraternity parties, that's more than just following the law. When you start limiting the number of times an organization can meet in a given semester, uh, that is not following the law. Uh, that is that is putting undue limitations on an organization. That's not merely saying, "Hey, you got to be 21 to drink." Well, John. If- all these students have the right to pick whatever university they want to attend or whatever school they want to attend. And if President Thrasher wants to, with the assistance of the administration, impose restrictions which he feels will make our students safer, what's wrong with that? Again, it always sounds really nice to say the students are going to be safer. But first of all, I I question whether that's actually a reality. Because what happens when universities post these sort of bans on on organizations? The organizations go underground. They're going to do it more secretively and perhaps in a more dangerous manner. Secondly, it's not his job. His job is not to legislate morality, which is what he's really trying to do. If kids want to drink, they're going to drink, whether they're at FSU or any other university. Well, John, I totally disagree. If you've got a university that turns a blind eye to these kinds of problems, which are resulting in increased DUI arrests, increased public intoxication, and serious injury and death. Increase compared to what? Increase to some universities where drinking isn't allowed. Uh, I'm uh, familiar with some Christian universities, for example, where there is a much, much different culture than exists at Florida State and University of Florida. I mean, compare what's comparable. Increase compared to other similar-sized state universities. I don't think to say it's increased compared to a 2,000-student private university is a fair comparison. You have to compare what's comparable. Well, I think that just because something has been going on for years doesn't mean that it's right. And I think that it's about time we have leadership at a university like FSU that is coming in and putting their foot down and saying, no, we're not going to turn a blind eye to this. It's clearly gotten out of hand, and we're going to do something about it, and we're going to hold students accountable when they engage in this type of behavior. They've always held students accountable. Students have always been held accountable to student rights and responsibilities if they're caught underage drinking, if they're caught violating the law. Uh, organizations have always been held accountable if a fraternity or another organization uh, violates the rules. What he's doing is taking it a step further, and he is now uh, limiting people's right to assemble. These are Some of these students are adults. Who is, who is John Thrasher to tell a group of adults that they can only associate so many times a semester? Well, he's the president of this university and with the support of the administration. If they want to meet off campus, that seems like their business to me. Well, you know what? I don't think they have any constitutional rights with regard to what rules this university decides to impose. They don't need to go here. Well, what rights does John Thrasher have to impose rights off of campus? Well, he speaks on behalf of the university for the students who are enrolled at this university and their conduct, whether it happens at the university or off the university. The university has So you think John Thrasher's powers <laughs> show no boundaries? Oh, no, I think he has boundaries. He can't do anything with regard to people uh, you, you who just, aren't enrolled. You just said if they're students, they're students. So if he wants to dictate what students do on their summer break in Rhode Island, he can do that. 
Well, if they're guilty of, for example, a mass murder in Rhode Island, I think he's got every right to suspend them from uh, being a member of the university. And now you're equating mass murder to college kids having a party. Not at all. But you were saying that there was no limitation. That's what you're saying is that, I mean, once you get off of FSU's campus, Thrasher has no authority to do anything. Well, I think if you're a student enrolled at the university, that he has a right to... So then John Thrasher can tell a group of friends from Orlando, five friends went to high school together, they can't have a Christmas party where their parents give them booze. Who's exaggerating now? (laughs) It's not an exaggeration. That's the next logical conclusion. Because any grouping of people, of more than three, of one organization is considered an organization event. That's the FSU's terminology. If four or more organization members are there, it's an organization event. So now a Christmas party back home with four members, if somehow Thrasher finds out about it, this is a problem. Well, I really, really, really don't think that was the intent of the program that they have put in place. And I think that the program that they have put in place will, in fact, make a difference. Certainly, the student organizations... It's going to make, an adi- it's going to make a big difference. Oh. I, I'm, I'm I sure think it's going to make a difference with the alumni contributions. That's that's going to be there's going to be a difference there. Uh, statistically speaking, Greek organization members are more likely to donate than than non-Greek organization members. Uh, so I, I think we're definitely going to see some some, some changes. Well, you know, if it uh, results in enhanced safety, if we can continue to improve the stature of the university as world class uh, educational institution. I think that we'll be able to cope with any reduction in alumni fraternity members' contributions to the university. John, it's really clear that we're not going to be able to agree on this, but it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening to our first episode of Can I Be Candid? If you liked our show, please watch for more episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. And don't hesitate to give us a like or share on SoundCloud. I hope you can join us again for our next episode on Can I Be Candid?